If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. What's up, guys? It's Tyler, and I just wanted to jump on here real quick before we get into today's episode, just to give a heads up to all of you who maybe did not get a chance to listen to our emergency Dylan Riola commitment podcast yet. Those of you who did, you know what I'm talking about, but I know not everyone necessarily had a chance to listen to that. But long story short, this episode that you were about to listen to, we actually recorded it on Sunday, and the original intent was to post this Monday night, have it ready for you guys on Tuesday, but obviously with the Dylan Riola commitment going down on Monday, we had to call an audible. We had to move this episode to later in the week, and we felt like we need to come on and, and do that emergency podcast. I mean, hey guys, it's not every day the number one prospect in the country commits to your program. So you got to do what you got to do. You got to cover those things. So I just wanted to jump on here before the show and give you guys a quick heads up on that, because there are some things in today's episode that might sound kind of strange, might sound like it doesn't exactly fit at this point in the week. So I basically just didn't want you guys to think that we were crazy and that we were losing our minds. But with that, let's go ahead and get started with today's show. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast, brought to you, of course, by our great friends at Alumni Hall. I really hope that you guys picked up mom or your wife some great new Georgia gear to really show her how much you love her on Mother's Day, but now that that's passed, it's now time for you to treat yourself a little bit here. The summer months are finally here. we got new polos in stock at Alumni Hall, new beach gear. You know you want to show off those back-to-back national titles to all those different fan bases on whatever beach you're going to be on this summer. And there's no better place for you to go get all the gear that will drive every other fan base crazy on the beach this summer than at Alumni Hall. So make sure to stop in inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City next time you're in town. Or, of course, you can always shop online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog Shop. All right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and back with me today on this Mother's Day Sunday edition of the Glory UGA podcast is my co-host, Curtis. That's how committed we are, guys. That's how committed we are 
to getting that Georgia sports fix out to you guys each and every week. We even jump on here on Mother's Day. Mom, I love you. You know that. Love you deeply. Really do. But we got a show to do. We can't let the people down. So here we are, Mother's Day, and we've got some great content for you guys yet again today. And today on the show, we're going to dip back into the listener mailbag to answer some questions on some topics that have been in the news over the past week, but we haven't had a chance to really talk about them yet here on the podcast, and we wanted to make sure to do that while those topics were still hot and while you guys still had questions about them. So we'll have a lot of fun doing that here in just a minute or two. But real quick, guys, just a reminder, keep the questions coming. We will put out the calls on social media every now and then, but you don't have to wait for that. If you've got a question that has to do with anything related to Georgia sports or even like or even tangentially related to Georgia sports, we welcome those questions anytime. It doesn't matter, guys. You can hit us up on Twitter. It's at glory underscore UGA. You can DM us. You can tweet us. Whatever is easiest for you. Also, if you don't really do the social media thing, which I know a lot of you don't, totally cool. You can also email us, and that address is podcast at gmail.com. So seriously, anytime a question pops in your head, we want to make this show as listener-friendly as we can. That's been our goal all along. So we try our best to answer as many of these questions as we possibly can, especially in the offseason. We have a little bit more time. So uh, yeah, hit us up and we will do our very best to get the, all those questions on the show at some point here during the summer. But all right, Curtis, let's get things rolling here today. Our big picture question today, you guys know we always like to start with the big picture question. That question today is about the future of the Georgia-Florida game. And of course, this is not a new question. We've discussed this many times in the past, but there have been some new developments that Scott brings up. So Scott asks, do you think the news that the Georgia-Florida game won't be played in Jacksonville in 2025-26 will have an impact on the long-term future of the game? I know you've probably discussed it before, and yeah, we have, but hey, you know, we're here to make the people happy. We'll discuss it as many times as you guys want us to, but what are your thoughts on where the Georgia-Florida game should be played moving forward? This is an annual question, it seems like, at this point. It is. I think in a perfect world, in my opinion, I think it would be a home and away just because I kind of I hate losing a home game realistically as a fan. You know, it's nice to go down to Jacksonville when you're able to go. But I just there's something different about being at home in Athens, in my opinion. Um, but you, you've, been, you've been down there a couple of times. I, I know. Yeah, I have been down times. there a couple of times. But don't um, you get the vibe down there? Like It's a unique feeling. It, in and it of is itself. a unique vibe. Um, and, and I think you also have to take into account, it looks like from money wise that we actually will lose money potentially yeah. um, by not playing it down there, which is the tough part. Um, but I, I the just, way it I, works essentially, Curtis, is like Georgia and Florida get to split the gate for every single game that is played in Jacksonville. That's the deal. That's the contract. And on top of that, with the most recent contract that actually runs out here in a, in a couple of weeks, unless we choose to extend it two more years, we get paid a million dollars a year from the city of Jacksonville on top of our cut of the gate. So all in all, that comes out to about four and a half-ish million dollars a year. So over the course of a two-year span, that's $9 million roughly, which is a good bit more than what we would get from one home game, hosting Florida for one home game every other year. Because when we go to Gainesville, if that ultimately ends up being what happens, we get $0. We get no cut of the gate. There's no million-dollar payment from the city of Jacksonville. For a typical home game, we make about 4 to $4.5 million, basically what we make by playing in Jacksonville every year. 
But when you play in Jacksonville over a two-year span, you make about $9 million over those two years, whereas we would only make about 4 to $4.5 million in a two-year span if this game went home and home. So we're talking about a 4 to $5 million difference every two years. So you might think that's chump change, and that's not a big deal, but I mean, over a six-year span, guys, we're talking... $15 million, a $15 million difference. Over a 12-year span, we're talking about a 30-ish million dollar difference. All you guys who want a new baseball coach, all you guys who want a new basketball arena, well, those programs don't really produce any money. It all comes from football. So if you are one of those fans who wants to make a move with the baseball program, or you want a new basketball facility or enhanced football facilities or whatever it is that you want, and you also want to move out of Jacksonville, you might want to rethink that. Because moving the game out of Jacksonville might preclude us from doing some of those other things that you want us to do within some of our other programs, our larger athletic department. I think the financial disparity between staying in Jacksonville or moving home to home matters. Yeah, it does. And I think that's what you have to take into account. Now, yes, I would like to, because I would think it'd be fun to go see a game down in Jack or a game in Gainesville, realistically. But you are right. There is something different about everything you see at this game in Jacksonville, realistically, when you see the, the stadium more or less closely split 50 50 it is a very uh awesome spectacle to see so you do have to take that into account but in and i think but jacksonville to a degree has also lost some of its luster with the landing kind of going away the environment isn't exactly the same as it was which i think needs to be taken into account but i i do like i would love for it to be home and home i get all the benefits and now that we can have recruits down in, in jackson jacksonville it's kind of changed my view on it as much yeah we can have recruits down there but I mean, you're not going to have a, a recruit take his official visit there. You're just not. And one of Kirby's biggest complaints about this is, is essentially, hey, like most years, more often than not, the Florida game is the biggest game on our schedule, right? Yeah, it is. And then not to have fans there or kids be able to take in right. an official visit in like a game environment like that. Exactly. And, you know, every now and then, like Tennessee last year was the biggest regular season game, right? Or it ended up being that way. And so we had, we were able to host official vi- host official visitors that weekend. And Curtis, that what we got rave reviews that weekend, right? The, the place was electric. The environment was was epic. It was incredible. And obviously, all those recruits took that in. And they saw that, and of course, it influenced a lot of guys. But it's not Tennessee every single year. More again, more often than not, it's Florida. I know Florida's a little down right now, but traditionally speaking, it has been Florida over the past 20, 25 years. And so you never get that game at home. You can never showcase your program in what is more often than not the biggest game on your schedule. So I, I do get that argument from Kirby. But if we're talking about recruiting, Curtis, don't you think that the fact that we play a game in Florida every single year in that Jacksonville area, does that not help us recruit that area to some degree? Um, it may, but like, let's be honest. Like Carson Beck, Curtis, do we, I mean, I'm not saying we wouldn't get Carson Beck. My thing is, my thing is it may help us, but listen, we don't constantly play games in Texas. We don't constantly play games in California, but we go in year in, year out and still pull guys from those areas. Very fair. I I do think that we, there is a recruiting hit that we take by not having the Florida game at home every other year. I, I do buy into that. And I see where Kirby's coming from, from that perspective. But guys, you have to understand when Kirby talks about or he hasn't really directly addressed he's kind of hinted at it at times kind of danced around a little bit but he's never actually at least in my knowledge come out and said i don't want this game played in jacksonville anymore but you he has made some comments about recruiting and losing and losing that game and all that kind of thing so you can kind of read between the lines there and, and the way that kirby looks at it course the prism through which he looks at things is very much related to recruiting right he's building his program and so and to a lot of people the, the argument is well you don't really lose that much recruiting. It's only one game every other year, but Kirby's like, dude, every other year, this is the biggest game on our schedule. And we don't get to host recruits 
for that game. So I, yeah, I, I mean, do think of like all the Alabama LSU environment. You know, yeah. I'm, I was at that game when Joe Burrow came to town and that was a very electric atmosphere. Realistically, when you think back to it and it's just, it's, it's things you like that. Game like when, you, when big, he came to Tuscaloosa. Yeah. When he came okay. to Tuscaloosa and they won, um, I was at that game and you think about it, like the biggest, for the most part, the biggest game on your schedule year in, year out is not a home game, which you can actually host people at. That's fair. And that, that is a very strong argument. And for a long time, Grace, you know, you and I have talked about this on the show a lot. We talked about it off the show a lot. For a long time, that's where my mind was. Like, I wanted this game moved to campuses. I wanted it home and home. I believe college football, you know, generally speaking, should be played on campuses. I hate neutral side games. Florida, the, the, the game in Jacksonville, Georgia, Florida game, that's a little different because it is a traditional game. So there's tradi- there is tradition tied to it. I hate games, Atlanta. I hate game. I hate these games played in Dallas or in Orlando. Now I don't like even Charlotte. I don't like it. That doesn't, it doesn't feel like college football to me. I don't like it. So I've always for a long time wanted this game to move home and home. And I was also of the mind that, Hey, Kirby smart has blown the lid off of this program. He has turned our program into the program we always thought it could be, but it never really quite was. And everything that he has done and everything that he has touched within our program has turned to gold. So if this is what Kirby Smart wants, then why are we not giving it to him? If this is what he thinks is best for our program, why are we standing in his way? That was my general line of thinking. But my thinking has evolved on that, Curtis, because, you know, when it comes down to like for I realized for for a long time, for a while, it was my disdain for the actual location of the game that was driving my thinking. Like I personally, very selfishly, did not want to go to Jacksonville anymore because Jacksonville, as you mentioned earlier, Curtis, they've taken away the landing and the landing wasn't anything special. But at least it was something. There was like some bars and some restaurants out and out. Now that's gone, Curtis. I don't know if you've been back since the landing has gone there. Most of you have been to Jacksonville. A lot of you, I guess, have been to Jacksonville at least once in your life. You know what I'm talking about. There's nothing in downtown Jacksonville. I know not everyone stays in downtown Jacksonville. I get that. You guys know I've said it before on the show. I stay in downtown Jacksonville because I like to be able to watch other games. I don't like to have to drive in and drive out from Amelia or St. Simons or wherever because I don't get to see all the other games and I'm a college football junkie. I want to see all these other games. I hate that. Right. So I do, I stay at the, um, I stay at the Hyatt Regency river walk right down there in Jacksonville, where, where it used to be like right next to the landing. And there's nothing there. I mean, there's Jacksonville is a huge city. So you can go to San Marco, you know, there are five points, but you have to drive there to Uber there. And it's not like, it's not, I, I like to be able to come to a game, park my car and not get into a car the rest of the, uh, of the weekend. That's what I like to do in most college campuses. You can do that. So, I just hate Jacksonville. I hate where it's played. Downtown Jacksonville is a cesspool of nothingness. I've said that many times. I'll stand by that. It freaking sucks. Those of you who have been down there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I know we have some people that listen from Jacksonville. Now, guys, I'm not trying to, to crap on your entire city. Jacksonville is, the in, in large part, is a great city. But you know what I'm talking about. Like Downtown Jacksonville, is it's terrible. It's absolutely awful. So for a long time, that kind of drove my thinking. But now it's become like more of a possible, like realistic thing that could happen. I'm taking more of a holistic view to it. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why I actually want to keep it in Jacksonville now, Curtis. And you mentioned some of them. Number one, tradition, Curtis. I got, I got to go there. Tradition, man. Like now that we have these super conferences, conferences that are being created, and we're actually going to get to a question here next about the eight-game versus nine-game schedule and what that's going to look like because there's some, some rumors out there right now. You know, tradition is going by the wayside, Curtis. Like whether it's eight games or nine games, we're not going to be playing a lot of the teams that we've been playing on an annual basis moving forward. We're just not going to. And I don't like that. College football, I think one of the things that makes it special, makes it unique, makes it better than in the NFL, 
is are, are the traditions, all the crazy traditions, playing these teams every year, bragging rights, all of that. So the idea of moving this game out of Jacksonville, as much as I hate Jacksonville, I don't like losing yet another tradition and a tradition that is as long standing as this one in. Does that not weigh on you on to any level, Curtis? It does. And I think that's part of, you know, what you have to take into account. Kind of like um, we'll see what happens with Texas and Oklahoma when they make the move. But I mean, that's part, you know, the big thing is the Red River shootout. And it's just kind of always been their thing. It, like, it's crazy to me, Curtis, that now that Oklahoma is moving to to the SEC. Bedlam is no more. What? Yeah. Like, you're just not playing. I mean, I know we've already seen that with Texas and Texas A&M, but like Bedlam's not being played anymore. Like, that's crazy to me. And I think like we're losing a little bit of the essence of college football. Guys, we're still going to watch it. I still love it. I'm, I'm so obsessed with it. But it, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I feel like you're losing a little bit of what makes it special when these teams aren't playing. That's crazy that Texas and Texas A&M hadn't been playing for so long. It's crazy that Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are not going to play moving forward. That is insane to me. And I don't I, – I just – I'm weary of losing more tradition. I know it's just one more tradition. I know we'll still be playing for it every year, whether it's in Jacksonville or not. At least you, you would like to think that we would be. But I don't know, man. Like, there's something about the tradition there, and just the unique aspect, the environment of it. I mean, you've been there, like you said. Like, it's it's special, man. It's very different, and um, it's hard to replicate. Now, everything outside of it kind of sucks. Um, at least if you're in downtown Jackson, I know people love their Million Island and St. Simon's Island, which is great. But um, it, it does kind of suck a little bit. Now, of course, I do want to now mentioning Amelia and St. Simon's, St. Simon's especially. Uh, we have some listeners that live in the Golden Isles, and they are very concerned about the financial hit that will come to to their hometowns to where they live Curtis if this game is is moved do you have any sympathy for for people who look at it from that perspective I have to admit, I have to admit I, and I do I do yes but my thing is also so like I know Frat Beach was very toxic to the environment or to the area but you're already seeing where people are kind of like taking steps away to kind of take away the party as as to what Georgia Florida is but there's still a ton of people who go down there for the for the for a week man and drop oh there are there are there. don't get me wrong but I think it's also the fact of like you also got to think of the environment like let's be honest Clark Clark County, as it is, is yep. one of the poorest counties in the state of Georgia. They per could capita. benefit from it. It's one of the poorest counties per capita in the country, Curtis. They could benefit from yep. this. That's always been my that's always been my argument. It's like, well, you know, yeah, I know it's helping the Golden Isles, but also we're losing the, we're taking a financial here hit here in Athens. Now the, the rebuttal to that, Curtis, is well, you get at least five other home games every year. We don't get anything. So I, I am also kind of sympathetic to that, but I am an well, athlete. I am guy. sympathetic. I, live in Athens, I just so think I, the I argument could go both ways, realistically. To be fair, and it doesn't mean I'm discounting them at all. It just you have to put you have to play devil's advocate because that's just the, the reality of it. And what about our fine listeners in South Georgia, Curtis? We have a bunch of them. We love you guys. Well, and I will say it, it is nice, though. I mean, you know, Tyler and I aren't from South Georgia, so yes, it doesn't affect us like it no, does we're other. Not, well, we're Metro boys. Yeah, we're Metro. Um, but the the biggest thing is you. I do. I mean, you know, for the listeners that don't know, I don't live in the state of Georgia anymore. So when I go to a game, there are a lot of logistical things that you have to deal with. So I, at the same time, do understand that like how nice it is to probably have a game that's a little bit closer to home. For sure. And that's like, I, and that's, I, I get that Curtis. Like I feel for the people, like, I, I mean, you know, it's easy for me to go to games now because I live in Athens, right? I've lived here for over a decade now. Now I will say I, I, I chose to move here and like, and it's easier said than done with my profession. I can, I can, you know, 
work pretty much anywhere. So it's, it's easier for me than some people, um, but it, it is going to be difficult, especially if you have family, they're up, up your life and you say, Hey, I'm gonna move to Athens now. Like that's weird. Not everyone that just doesn't work for everyone logistically, like you mentioned. So like, I, I do feel for people <clears throat> who, who don't have it as easy as I do in terms of getting to games and that, that, um, and that I do, I do understand like, Hey, this is the one game we can get to. This is our game. Let us have one. You guys get all every other game. Let us have one. So I am sensitive to that, Curtis. I really am. Even that doesn't affect me, but that's, that's, you're right though. And you're kind of in that boat now, right? Like, like for you to come, I mean, you come to what about three-ish games a year now? About three home games. I try to fit in a road game every year as much as I can based on yeah. my new schedule. I mean, like, so I've never had, I mean, the most I've ever driven for a Georgia game, at least come to a home game. Now I travel over the country to go to road games, but for a home game, you know, I used to live, um, you know, I grew up in Gwinnett County. So it's what, like 45 minutes to get there. Yeah. Roughly. Yeah. That's yeah. Enough. So coming from another state, Curtis, like take, take it for our listeners who are like me, who, who don't have to make the a, a, a eight hour trek or however long the trek is three, four hours, however long it might be to get to Athens for a game. Like what is it like for you to have to get to Athens from another state? I mean, it is rough. You got to think about it. You not everyone can take off a Friday either. So, I mean, realistically I, I come from Alabama now where first off you're in a central time zone. So then you have, work to say you work till five and you start driving to Atlanta, you don't realistically based on traffic and everything and the time change aren't in Atlanta till 10 or 11 Friday night. Cause you usually don't take Fridays off, right? When you come down, you're just, you're, you're leaving after work on Friday. Exactly. And so like you had to take that into account or even traveling any of those games, like if you're coming from Alabama or this area, like you lose that hour when you go in. So then you, you're on a lot less sleep, which is worth it for, you know, a couple of weekends a year. But it, it is it's hard on you because then you have to wake up early, get to the stadium or get to the, the town early and then the turnaround on Sunday to get back. It is a lot on it. So you understand like you have to look at as the people that are making these long treks. It is a lot of logistical and not only not only logistics, but it, it, it does add up on how, you know, time and what your body can do. You're right, Kirsten. Like in obviously that's that I hate that you have to do that now. I wish you were. We're still in Georgia, but you're no longer here. But maybe in the future, we'll see what happens. But like, I, I hate that you have to go through that. But even you, Curtis, when you come back, like, you have a place to stay, right? Like, yeah, you have most people you some stay people with. don't. Where I can come and stay for free, honestly, let's be honest. But most people yeah. don't, so I don't even have to worry about getting the hotels. But then you talk about, I mean, God forbid, I, I, I don't know how many of our listeners do this, but the hotels in Athens sure as heck aren't cheap on game weekends either. Curtis, we're, we're pushing $1,000 this year. Yeah. A thousand dollars a night. Don't know that. Don't know. We're talking a thousand a night. Because because and this is this has become the norm. It's insane to me. So I would you know I go to, I travel these road games, Tennessee. Uh, when we played there two years ago in 2021, so that was coming off COVID. So I I kind of guessed it. I, I try to do this as much as I can. I, I try to predict the schedule, like who we're going to play when, because you can kind of do that traditionally based on like when you normally play teams, what time of year, what what week, that kind of thing. And so I went ahead and booked a bunch of hotels. Um, just guessing like, Hey, I think we might be playing this, uh, this, you know, this week. And I happened to nail Tennessee. So I got the Hilton downtown Tennessee for like 300 bucks for the entire weekend curse for two nights, Friday, Saturday, 300 bucks total. Okay. Do you have any idea how much it costs to stay at the Hilton right now, Curtis? Probably about 1500 a night. It will cost you right now. It's like $2,700 all in for yeah. two nights, $2,700 Curtis. And Tennessee's been good one year. Now, now Athens isn't quite there yet, but like close, man. Like you cannot stay in downtown Knoxville right now for the Georgia game. And for most games, but especially the Georgia game, 
you're not going to find anything cheaper than a thousand dollars a night. I mean, I'm looking right now at it, actually, guys. I pulled it up here. So Knoxville, Tennessee, November 17th through November 19th. That's the weekend of the Georgia Tennessee game. The cheapest one I can actually find here is nineteen hundred and ninety one dollars for the two nights for the weekend. Then that is the Cumberland House, Knoxville. If you get the Crown Plaza, that's the next cheapest, which is $2,136 for two nights. The Hyatt Place, Knoxville downtown. I stayed there one time. Maybe I stayed there 2019, I want to say. Yeah, I think it was brand new then. $3,300 for two nights, Curtis. Let's see what else we got. The Hilton, yep, the Hilton right here, $2,818. And guys, this is not just one of those things. So it's like, oh, well, it's closer to the game now, so they've jacked the prices up. Guys, I start looking as soon as they open up reservations for those places. Back in like December, January, it was the same price back then. It has not moved. In fact, it's actually got, it's gotten a little bit more expensive, but it was basically the exact same. And Athens has become very similar to that. So for people who are coming from South Georgia, well, you come to Athens, I mean, $1,000 a night? I mean, even, even coming for one game, you're talking $2,000, you're dropping that. I mean, that's a lot, man. And if you don't want to pay that, then what do you do? You have to turn around and drive all the way back home. And, and I know we don't get any night games anymore, but if you do, like what time are you getting home, dude? Yeah. Like it's, it, so I, I know we're kind of going off the rails here, but long story short, our, our incredible listeners in South Georgia, all of these great Georgia fans down in South Georgia, like on some level, it's like, hey, yeah, they deserve a game. You know what I mean? Yeah, we get it. Yeah, so I I definitely get that. And here's the other thing, Curtis. Last one, last reason why I've kind of changed my view on this. So tradition, people in South Georgia, uh, I think recruiting a little bit in the Jacksonville area, the financial cut that we're going to take, as we talked about earlier, if we go home and home. I also believe, Curtis, that if we go home and home, we are giving Florida a better chance of beating us every other year. Hear me out on this. That's fair. Let's be honest. I mean. Yeah, hear me on this. It's like, as long as Kirby's here, I don't care who Florida hires. As long as Kirby's here, we're going to be a more talented team than Florida year in, year out. Like, we just, we're just built better. And Kirby is, we know what he's done, right? He's built our program out. Like, we are the, we are the king of college football right now. And if this game stays in Jacksonville at a neutral site, man, I, I think right now, like, at least as in the foreseeable future, it's going to be tough for Florida to, to beat us with any sort of consistency. Now, could oh, one isolated year here and there happened, of course. We saw that in 2020 with the COVID year. Yeah, but we're going to win the vast majority of these games moving forward if it stays in Jacksonville. If you move it to Florida, Curtis, if you move a home game to Jacksonville for the Gator or to Gainesville for the Gators, I'm not saying we still wouldn't win those games. Probably would, but it's certainly more difficult, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I agree with that statement. So that's just another thing to look at it here. So I guess to wrap it up for me, so we can move on, as I know we got a lot more to talk about here today. I think for me, the way my thing has evolved this, I've gone from looking at it from a standpoint of what's good for me selfishly, like getting out of Jacksonville, because Jacksonville downtown Jacksonville sucks, to towards like what's good for our program and what's good for, you know, the, the Georgia fan base as a whole. You know, I think so. I think when it comes down to it for me, like what's good for our program is ultimately actually, if you think about it, what's good for me because I'm so deeply invested. Like if it's keeping this game in Jacksonville, is best long-term for our program, which I personally now at this point, I lean that way, then ultimately that's what's good for me because I am so deeply invested and I care so, so much about this program, whether or not I have to go down to Jacksonville every, every year or not. I still, you know, I, I think staying in Jacksonville is where I am right now, but you still want to go home and home. I mean, I, I, I would love it. I think realistically Jacksonville is still the best bet. Oh, so you, you do think staying in Jacksonville? I, I think staying with Jacksonville ultimately now, like I said, I would love, I want, 
realistically want it to be home and home, but do you want to be that, home and home long term? Or do I would you like to, I would like do to you want the novelty of actually taking in a 40 game in San Francisco and going to Gainesville one time? Yeah, I, I could see it like every decade having one home and home mixed in. Yeah, I mean the hybrid model. I've heard that you know moving back between between Jacksonville and Atlanta, and then maybe every now and then home and like you know you go two years you play home and home. Like, but doesn't that doesn't the tradition become less of a tradition at that point? Like, why even bother? It does, but as we're losing them, I think it's going to be part of it. As we're, you know, as we're going to talk about this yeah. new schedule, like this is going to be the reality going forward. Yeah. You're right. All right. Last thing on this before we move on to the next question. So I think go back to Scott's question. He said, okay, the impetus for this question was the fact that it's moving, or at least he's now, by the way, Curtis, that has not been officially reported though, right? It has not. That has not been an official thing. That's just basically what happened is the outgoing mayor, I think it's Lenny something or another, the outgoing mayor of, of Jacksonville got on a radio show and was like, oh yeah, you know, uh, we're, we're going to start renovating this Jacksonville Jaguar stadium in 2025. So that means that Georgia and Florida probably have to find a different place to play those two seasons. And people kind of took that and ran with it, but n- neither athletic department has actually officially said anything on that. In fact, I read somewhere that Scott Strickland, not our baseball coach we'll get to later on, but the Florida athletic director version of Scott Strickland, he was saying that he was under the impression that it was actually be 2026, 2027 that we might have to find an alternate venue and not 2025, 2026. So maybe it'll happen. I don't know, but let's just say for the sake of argument, Curtis, let's say that there is a two year span, no matter whatever years ends up being that we have to find, a, an alternative venue, alternative venue for the Georgia Florida game. Do you think that will have an impact on the long term future of the game? Like, if it basically, if it leaves Jacksonville for two years, is there a chance that it just never comes back? Um, I don't know if it would never come back based on the contract, but I think it could come into effect in later contract negotiations and seeing how it is. But it could also come back negatively if they see how bad it went, and then Jacksonville could have an upper hand. Like if we, hey, what happens if we lose in Gainesville? Like, I don't want to think about that. But if, if, if we did play a game in Gainesville and we lost, like, does that, does the argument to move it home and home lose some momentum on the Georgia side? It probably would. Yeah. I would say it probably would. But you're right. It's all contractual right now. So it depends on what the contract is. Like, here's the thing, guys. We will know about the future of this game by the end of this month because we have both sides have until, have until like June 1st. I think it's the end of May. I don't know the exact day, but it's like the end of May, June 1st, something like that, first week of June, to pick up the option for two more years through 2025 or not. If that option is not picked up, this is the last year it's going to be played in Jacksonville, at least for now. Now, if the option is picked up, that push, that kicks the can down the road for another two years, and we'll have it through 2025, and then we'll probably you – know, and, and there's a world, curse, right, where there's like all this you know talk about home and home is just like positioning, like negotiation positioning, right, Mo- moving forward to the city of Jacksonville. Yeah, I think it could be. Yeah, so I I think it's all contractual. I and I don't like if it moves out of Jacksonville for two years. Sure, does that increase the likelihood that it moves from Jacksonville permanently? Yeah, I mean it certainly helps gather momentum for that movement if that's ultimately what you want. But again, it's all contractual. Curse. There might be a contract signed. So yeah, you know what? We're gonna go alternate venue for two years. But we're coming back to Jacksonville for next three years after that. I mean, it just depends on what the contract says, and. And we'll find out a lot more about it here, literally, guys, in the next couple of weeks. So I don't know what, what's going to happen. I, I'm in favor of keeping in Jacksonville. That's where I am right now. Maybe my thinking will evolve again in the future. I don't know. But right now, where we sit, I want to keep the game in Jacksonville. But um, it doesn't really matter what I want, man. We'll just see. We'll, money talks at the end of the day. Money talks. And I think that's ultimately what's going to win out here. All right, Curtis. 
Let's move off the Jacksonville debate here for uh, the next couple of questions. And let's go to a question we've got from Daryl. Thank you for the question, Daryl. Daryl says that he has heard, Curtis, that the SEC is now leaning towards staying with an eight-game conference schedule with the addition of Oklahoma and Texas in 2024 over a nine-game schedule, which had seemed to be the leader in the clubhouse in terms of the formats that we've been using moving forward in the SEC with our, with our scheduling. So, Scott, our Daryl asks, have you heard anything about that? In which format would you rather see? So, Kurt, let's actually start with what you would rather see, and then we'll get to, like, have you heard anything? Um, rather see, I like the eight game when I think about it, as you touched earlier, is the fact that it allows you to keep some more of these non-conference games that may um, attra- be attractive, and you talk about tradition along those lines. Yeah, this is... I don't know, man. So here are the options. If you go with the A-game schedule, that means we have one permanent opponent. So you, you are losing more rivalries if you go A-game. Nine-game means that's the one where you have three permanent opponents. So I was on the impression we were going to go nine because there's too many rivalries that are played every year that, that I think they're too important to lose, honestly. And I, I've kind of felt that way for a while now. And I thought the nine game was where we were going. It just makes sense, right? Like you have 16 teams in the conference, you know, Georgia, we have, well, you have like five teams that you can make an argument as rivals potentially and some more than others, obviously not every team has that. I get that, but I, you know, like, so you're, you're saying like Georgia's going to play Florida, but we're not going to play Auburn every year. Like that's weird. You know, Yeah, that's it's like, I, I just never, I just never thought eight games was a realistic option because of that. Like I thought I was, I just had the impression these games are too important to lose but I mean, he's right. I, I, you've heard some rumors to the effect the eight game formats kind of gaining some late momentum here. So I, I don't know what way we're going to go. I think when you look at it, I don't know, both sides, there's there's benefits and drawbacks to both of them. Like with the eight game schedule, you're right, Curse, you get far more schedule flexibility. You can schedule more non conference games. So you look down the road, guys, there's a couple different years going out the next 10, 15 years where we have three non conference power five games. And so if we're, if we're in a nine game schedule curse, that literally means that we are only playing power five games. How would you feel about that? Um, I would actually love it. I'm not going to, I would love it. I I would love it realistically. I mean, it would be a lot more uh, consistently fun throughout the season. Yeah. I mean, people who've been listening for a long time, you know, how I feel. And Charlie is big on this. I, I hate these buy games. Like I, I like our schedule this year, Curtis, I know it's not really our fault because we did have Oklahoma schedule, but regardless of how it transpired, our schedule this year is is a travesty. Like the the idea that and I know I know no one's putting a gun to my head and making me pay for it. I get that, but the idea that to see all the other games, I got I got to pony up and pay for all that stuff. Like I don't want to see those games. Who wants to see those games? And I know, yeah, you want you got to take care of those programs. What I've always said is fine. If you if if you're willing to pay those programs a million dollars to come get beat up every every year, why don't we just take that money and put it to a into a pool for these programs and subsidize them that way? Because that's all we're doing. We're subsidizing them by having them come play here. Let's just pay them anyway, and let's play someone else that's actually good for the fans to watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's that's kind of how I, I've felt about that for a while now. So I I, I know, like, the other, the argument against that, though, Curtis, is like, well, you're making it harder for yourself to get the college football playoff. Do you buy that argument? Um, n- No, because I think it's going to be a lot harder for perfection across the board. I think by moving to the 12-team ga- playoff i think that mitigates that concern to a large degree right yeah i agree now like you might not be a top four c though and that so you lose the buy so that th- th- there's something to it certainly you do make it more difficult to get in the playoff and the position the playoff is going to be hurt to a degree sure if you don't win those games but guys for georgia you know i mean we should be winning those games i mean more often than not you're not going to win necessarily all of them but you should win more than not more than you lose right so i i actually like 
the idea of keeping the three, at least three of our permanent opponents and then being able to play. I, dude, I would play three non-con power five teams every year if we could. Honestly, I would. But I, I know realistically that we're not going to want to do that because Kirby at some point and our, our athletic department, they're going to want to play at least one of these buy games. And it's harder to do that when it is, if you're going to play one of those games, it's hard to schedule all these non-conference power five games, these premier games that we all want to see. So there, that's a little bit of a drawback to a nine game schedule. Um, but I don't know, like a game. Yeah. Schedule flexibility. You lose traditional rivalries. You lean eight games. That's what you want. Um, I think it's what, I don't know. I'm really torn. I like the nine game realistically, but the one waste by week game is always nice to get people healthy and get some guys experience that some of the younger guys that don't always get it. Yeah. I don't mind. I don't necessarily mind one of the by games. Yeah. I do get, there's some benefits to it. Like you said, get some guys healthy, get some of these young guys playing time. I, I get all that. I get, I'm fine with one. I just like two or three is no, that should not be, that should never happen. That should not happen. I don't know. At the end of the day, Curtis, so here's the thing, like eight game or nine game, the end result is pretty much the same, right? Because what we're trying to do is create a format where every team can play every other team in the conference home and home within a four-year span, right? That's the goal. And with eight game schedule with only one permanent opponent, then you can do that because you play seven, seven of the other teams one year at home. And then you are, I don't know exactly how they would format it, but you play seven one year, seven the next year, right? And then with a nine-game conference schedule with three permanent opponents, you got six and six, right? There's there's six other teams left. So either way, you're playing every opponent home and away within a four-year span. It's just a matter of do you want to have one conference, one permanent conference opponent or three permanent conference opponents? I think I lean towards nine. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, because I can argue against the logic either. Yeah, I, I see both sides. I totally do. Like, I don't feel super passionate either way, honestly. Um, I guess I, the passion I do have when it comes to this is regarding the, protecting the rivalries. Like, again, I, I go to like, the idea that we are, that we might play Florida every year, but we're not going to play Auburn every year. Heck, I know like Tennessee is not like a long-term traditional rival, but my entire lifetime, guys, since I've watched Georgia football, known Georgia football, we play Tennessee. So to me, Tennessee is a big rival. That's how I look at it. I hate Tennessee. I, I don't want there to be a world where we don't play Tennessee every year, and that's probably going to happen. South Carolina, I think Georgia should probably play. That's a border rivalry, man. Like, I know, like, they're, like, you know, they're not on our level, never have been, never will be, right? But, like, I still, I think I feel like that's a game that should be played every year, right? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, so I don't know. So I, I think I lean towards nine to, to preserve those rivalries. Because, again, tradition, I, I want to try to keep as much of that as we possibly can. Uh, but at the end of the day, Curtis, what do you think is actually going to be the, the format the conference goes with? I see nine, and I only say that because it's going to be too much money on the table to walk away from. In terms of TV contracts? Yeah. Because that's the thing. Because like right now, we, we had this new deal kicking in with ESPN in 2024, right? Well, that's mm-hmm. based on an eight-game conference schedule. You add Texas, you add Oklahoma, you get another conference game in there that's added inventory and so i don't know what how the contract is written of course that's the thing is there is there a clause in the contract where we can go back in and renegotiate when you add more teams if you add more conference games i don't know if there is if there is then that means there's a financial incentive to go to nine games but i don't know what that contract actually looks like i don't know i don't know i actually think curse eight games might win out i forever i thought it was gonna be nine games like i wouldn't even entertain eight games but because i thought nine games made too much sense 
But I have heard, I mean, Daryl's right. I've heard more and more about the A-game schedule over the past couple of weeks and they gained a little bit more, more momentum because here's what's going on. The lesser schools, and I, I don't know, that's, maybe that's not fair to them. Maybe the, the schools that aren't traditional powers, okay, the Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas is the world, those programs never want to go to nine games anyway because they know nine an extra conference game is going to make it that much harder for them to get to a bowl game. Like, they never won in the first place. It was the the Georgias, the Alabamas of the world, the Auburns of the world who kind of wanted that because, you know, it helps your cultural playoff profile. You get an extra conference game, right? You don't have to play one of these, these little schools or whatever. Um, it's good for the fans, all that kind of thing. But now what's happening when they started to leak out these potential three permanent opponents for each team, well, then you got the big programs, guys like Nick Saban and Alabama all pissed off about the what they perceive as the unfairness of how – the the conf- the permanent opponents were decided right so you all, you have this this chunk of schools these smaller schools who don't win it at a high at, as high of a level on a consistent basis they never won in nine games in the first place now some of the big schools are kind of pissed off because like hey this is not fair why do we get these teams why does why does why does that team only have to play these teams so i think it that kind of all points towards an eight game schedule i don't know but I'm kind of I'm kind of getting the feeling it's going to be an eight game schedule, eight game conference schedule. But again, just like with the uh, the Georgia Florida game, we're going to find out here at the end of May because we're going to have the SEC meetings in Destin in a couple of weeks, and I have a very strong feeling. In fact, they're going to have to let us know at some point. It's very likely that we're going to find out here in a couple of weeks. So we don't have much much longer to wait to find out. But I guess it's, uh, it's still kind of fun to talk about until we do actually hear the official word on that. All right, Kurt, let's move on here. Uh, so this is kind of a fun question. I've got this from Greg. This is, I know, look, guys, I know there's a, a lot of questions we still have not had a chance to get to, and so we're kind of ha- letting Greg jump the line here with his question, but it's because it's kind of topical. So, you know, this question, is, it would only make sense today. It wouldn't make sense a couple of weeks from now. So we're going to run with this today. So Greg asked Curtis, with the, quote, how loyal are you trending on Twitter this weekend? How loyal are you? What are the three to four most painful memories that you have had as a Georgia fan? Curtis, I know you're busy with Mother's Day weekend this weekend. Did you get a chance to see this on social media, the how loyal are you thing? I did not, but I um, can definitely. Okay, so for, I'm sure you're not the only one, Curtis. Yeah. Uh, but for those of you who did not get a chance to see this, basically, like I don't even know where what the genesis of this was. Somebody posted something somewhere, the question of how loyal are you? And they posted a bunch of like, painful memories uh, and experiences with their favorite college program and kind of the tough times they'd gone through. And so it kind of caught on. Everyone started to post like their most painful experiences with their program. And it kind of, it kind of just took off this weekend. So uh, yeah, kind of a topical thing. It probably will not be a thing anyone thinks about tomorrow, but it's kind of a fun question. So three to four most painful memories you've had as a Georgia fan, dear God, because I feel like up until about 2017, it was all painful memories, right? I feel yeah. like, a lot of, I know we had some good times. We had some good times, you know, obviously 2002, 2005 was great. Had some good times, but there's a lot of pain in there, man. A lot of pain. I think that's what made the the back-to-back natties feel so great. It's because like we were loyal. We stuck through all of those bad times, man. We never, ever wavered. So I had a really, really, really difficult time trying to boil this down to three or four, but I got a couple. I'm gonna let you start off. Kurt. Like what are the three or four most painful memories that you've had as a Georgia fan? I'm just going to stick to probably the two or three most recent. There's a couple ones. big ones. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with the lost Alabama National Championship, second and 26. That's got to um, be number one. I'm going to go the Auburn tip six. Yep. And then the 2013, Auburn 2013. Yep. And then the Tennessee Hail Mary. 2016, Tennessee. Oh, God. Like the talk about 
I don't know if there's ever been a greater swing of emotions, you know, in, like that quickly in a game that I've experienced, like a Georgia football game. Because, you know, the Eason throw is still one of the most incredible throws I've seen live. Just an incredible throw by Jacob Eason. I thought the game was over. I'm going nuts in the stands. And then the Hail Mary, I was like, dear God. Uh, okay. Okay. So, yeah, that one sucked. Um, I didn't have that one on my list, but that's a good one. I'm going to go back a ways because obviously, you know, Natty 2017, that doesn't need any explanation. That's got to be at the top of the list. I would say SEC Championship 2012, Curtis. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, I could see Chris that. Conley. Yeah. I, I literally, as disgusting as you guys know how disgusting the, the floors of these stadiums are, as disgusting as the floor of the, uh, the, the Georgia Dome once upon a time was, I just collapsed on the floor and I just laid there. I face down the floor. Like I say collapse, like face down. I just, I couldn't move, man. I was just like, oh my God. Oh my God. So that was a, that was brutal, man. Cause I feel like, you know, then especially when you go back, you know, I guess go forward a couple of weeks and you see Alabama just beat up on Notre Dame. Like, dear God, we could have done that to Notre Dame too. So I just felt like we had a national championship to slip through our fingers there. That was the close. I, I guess that in 20, in 2002, when Terrence Edwards dropped the pass in Florida, those are the two closest prior to 2017 that we had gotten. Those are brutal. I remember as in high school watching Terrence Harris drop that pass. That was brutal for me. I wasn't at that game back in when I was in high school, but that was brutal for me. I'm going to go back even further, Curtis. 2010, Colorado. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I, and, like, I know that we weren't going to win anything that year. We were not good that year. But the reason that one hurt me so much is because it was Colorado. You know, like, when you lose that game to that program, you're like – who are we? Where where are we as the program right now? This is where we are now. We're losing to Colorado. And then you make the trip all the way out there. It's a fantastic trip. And then you you lose God, you lose that game to then. And I just remember like being at the airport in Denver the next day and just like catatonic, man. Just I was absolutely catatonic. I was just inconsolable. It was like, oh, this is because at that point, Chris, in 2010, it's like, God, like what like are we ever gonna be good again? Like, are we actually going to ever win a national title? Like, are we even going to get close to it? Even an SEC title. So that one was brutal for me. Um, here's another one. Uh, I don't think you mentioned this one. South Carolina 2012. Night game in Columbia. Oh, yeah. That was a rough one. And got smacked. Like, just from the get-go, man. It was bad. And those of you, if you know, you know. If you've been to Williams-Brice for a game in which Georgia has lost, unfortunately, I have – um I've had the, the the misfortune of being to uh, more than a couple of them that we have lost, you know, especially in the, well, I guess in particular, the, the Spurrier years, it's not a great thing. Uh, it's, that's a terrible experience because they suck and they kind of know it deep down. They have an inferiority complex. So when they're good, which is not often, but when they have been good and then when they beat Georgia, they do not know how to handle it and they lose their freaking minds, dude. And it, it sucks. It freaking sucks. So that was, uh, yeah, man, that was a really bad one. So, yeah, I had Auburn 2013 on my list. Um, basically, anytime we've lost a Tech in my lifetime, does that suffice, Curtis, I think? Fair? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, what whether it was 2016, Kirby's first year, um, 20, 2008 was tough. I think we were upset. Was it 18 at half? Yeah. You know, that was the year we were preseason number one. It obviously didn't go our way, but you still want, you want to beat Tech, right? And uh, we were up 18 at half, starts pouring rain, and we just completely blow it, man. Completely freaking blow it in the second half. That one was brutal. That that sucked. I mean, that just put the cherry on top of a of a incredibly disappointing season. So 
There's a bunch, and then there's a bunch more guys. I mean, 2016 in, in Oxford, Mississippi, you're sitting there just sweltering in that heat and getting destroyed the way that we got destroyed by that team. And Hugh Freeze, that little freaking weasel face punk, that dude, no, didn't want to lose that game. So there's been there's been more than a few, man, but um, those are a couple that definitely stand out to me. All right, a couple more questions here, Curtis. Um, all right, I got a basketball question and a baseball question to close things out here. Let's go with the basketball question first. This is from Peter. And Peter asks, um, Am I getting ahead of myself or is Mike White actually building something in Athens? Curtis, what do you think about what's going on with this Georgia basketball program? I'm, I don't know about you, dude. I am freaking pumped about what we've got going on right now. I'm excited. And I think the biggest reason is it hasn't all been the transfer portal. There's, you know, we've gotten a couple signees that are out of high school. So that's, I am on the train after that. He's kind of building something because it's, the portal is going to be a year in year out thing, but I like the way that he's also getting some young guys in there. But you have to the portal. I mean, because you can't just have young guys every year, right? Like, I mean, even Kentucky is as highly rated as those guys were. All those young guys they they bring in, you know, freshman classes. I mean, they're not winning national titles with them. I guess the one, right? Um, so it's you got to have some. You you ha- you can't only rely on the portal. You need to have some homegrown guys, but you have to be able to supplement that with experienced transfers and come and be immediate impact guys. And you're right, Curtis, we've, we've got both of them. We've got the immediate impact transfers, and we've got some really talented young guys that can grow up within our program. And I don't think any of the young guys that we've got, they're all really talented, they're going to be good for us. They're not one-and-done guys, right? No, they're not, and that's where the building aspect comes in. A hundred percent. Let me ask you about the, the immediate future. How do you feel about next year's team? I feel encouraged, actually. I think we have a shot to be in the up, not the top of the SEC, but I think we'll be in the top half. Which I'm going to say it right now, because we are going to the NCAA tournament next year. I like it. I'm calling my shot right now. And you can call this official thinking if you want. That's fine. We are going to the NCAA tournament. We have got the roster to do it. We've got the coach to do it. And I, I felt like we had a shot before the most recent commitment. But when Juice Hole, and I don't want to, I don't want to kick the guy while he's down, you know, on his way out. But guys, I mean, just one hole was a liability for us last year. He was, he was he would get in games like as a quote unquote defensive specialist, but he couldn't play defense. So I don't, I don't know what the guy actually did for us out there. So when he entered the portal, I was like, first off, thank God he's not going to be on our team next year. And then to see us at RJ Sunahara, the D two player of the year with that scholarship, it was a done deal for me. We are going to the insulate tournament. And guys, if you have not seen the highlights of these guys, do yourself a favor. Go watch Noah Thomas and the, the transfer, the shooting guard transfer from, from Niagara, and Sunahara, the transfer that we're getting as D2 player of the year from Nova Southeastern. Those dudes can freaking play, okay? Thomason shot 38% from three last year. He's a guy that does a great job getting to the rim, finishing at the rim. Sunahara is I mean, he's, he's a forward. He's got great ball handling skills. He can shoot the three. He can post up. He can finish around the rim. Plays good defense. He's a good athlete. That is the one that put us over the top. And you got Silas Demery, who we flipped from USC, who's a, a borderline top 100 guy. He's a guy that's he's not a great shooter right now, but he's a great athlete. Gets to the rim with ease. Finishes around the rim as well. He's definitely going to contribute for us next year. And then Blue came. Blue Kane from IMG Curse was committed to Tech. They fire Passner. He opens things back up. We get in there, and we get his commitment. Curtis, Blue Kane shot 45% from three last year. And go watch his highlights. This dude is a bucket. This dude can score, all right? So I think we've got 
we fixed a lot of our issues. And, and also, Russell uh, Chua, I think is how you pronounce his name, the seven-footer from South Florida. And I really like Jalen Deloach at the four position. I think he's more of a four guy. I think Sunahara probably play the three fours. Thomas will play two, and he probably have Hill as, as our point guard. Deloach is not a not necessarily a big time score. He's a rim runner, but he is an active presence. He's a big time rebounder, big time defender. He's exactly what we needed, a physicality that we did not have at that position last year. That starting lineup curse is nasty. And then you bring like a guy like Jabri Abdur Rahim off the bench. As a guy with, with really good length that can come in and knock down shots, and you've got the, the talented freshman, Dimery, you've got Blue Kane, and also Dylan James and Mari Jordan, who I haven't mentioned, who are also top 100 caliber guys in this year's freshman signing class. All those guys coming off the bench, complimenting your starting lineup. I mean, dude, sign me up for that. I feel really, really, really good about this team. And I, again, I'm going to call my shot. We are going to the NCAA tournament next year. I am pumped about what Mike White is doing in, in Athens right now. And I think uh, we're going to see the, I, I, we had some good years under Jim Herrick when I was in high school. Now we all know how that ended, but I think we're about to see um, the best years of Georgia basketball since the Herrick years. And it's been a long time coming, man. It's been a long time coming. So I'm very, very excited about that. Finally though, Curtis. So great news on the basketball front, not so great news on the baseball front. Is that fair to say? Um, Yeah. Par for the course. Yeah, I think we can say that, right? So um, as of right now, so game three against Missouri, guys, got delayed because of rain. They started playing and got pushed back. They're playing it right now, but we had to get on here and record. So I don't know how game three has finished. We were up 4-3 going into the eighth. We'll see what happens. But, hey, we lost the first two games of the series. Yeah, and we have now lost the third game. Oh, we've lost the third game. Another walk-off loss. Oh, a walk-off. Oh, so we, we got swept by the worst team in the league. Yep. Does that make us the worst team in the league, Curtis? It does, in my opinion. I mean, so we beat, our, we sweep Arkansas, number five team in the country. Get some momentum. Get me to get me to buy back in, right? And then we go to we go at the time one of the two worst teams in, in the league, which was Ole Miss. We go to Ole Miss and um, we lose two out of three there. And we come back. I mean, now, now I'm down. Like now I'm down the team again. Then we come back. Hey, we beat Tennessee. We we take two out of three from a very hot Tennessee team who had swept Vanderbilt. I think the week before. And now, now I'm buying back in. And then now it's like, hey, all we need to do is just go win two or three at Missouri, get one against LSU at home, number one team in the country. And dude, like, we're going to get in. And we go and get freaking swept by the other worst team in the league. The two worst teams in the league, Curtis, we went what? One in, one in five against? Yep. When we, when our, when our playoff, li- we're fighting for our playoff lives, our tournament lives. And that's what we do. Now, hey, maybe we'll turn around and sweep LSU and we'll all be laughing about this. But, uh, the odds of that are not exactly great, right? Yeah. No, not exactly great. So anyway, let's get the actual question here from Brian. As you can probably tell, um, not through what we're seeing on the diamond right now. Uh, but Brian asks, um, very pointedly, Curtis, have we not seen enough? Can we just go ahead and say it's time to move on from Scott Strickland? What say you, Curtis? I say 100%. I mean, you hope that they've seen enough. I, I think at this point, the right resume is there, and he has maxed out his potential. I just... I don't see how you can justify keeping him at this point. Yeah. Now, hey, the only the only way is like again because we're gonna have, at this point we're gonna have to sweep LSU. Like we're gonna have to sweep the number one team in the country, which we're not gonna do. I mean, we're just not going to like not with that team. Sorry, just I know I know we swept Arkansas. LSU is a different animal. We're not sweeping LSU. It's not gonna happen. So we're not gonna make the tournament. Okay, we're not gonna make the tournament. We made the tournament last year. Didn't host a regional. We lost in the regional, um, North Carolina. This year we're not gonna make the tournament. Um, and Curtis, we have the best player that we've ever had since Gordon Beckham. 
and you have Connor Tate. I mean, we have guys, we have Condon, Charlie Condon. We have, we have this player who has broken sec freshman record for home runs. All the dude does is hit home runs. Like it's like every game. He's just gonna smack one. out. It just, it's going to happen every single game. Like it's just, you expect it. Now we have him. You have Connor Tate. Who's been fantastic for us for a couple of years in the middle of your lineup. And you can't even make the tournament. I'm not even talking about hosting. I'm talking about just freaking make it as a four seed. And you cannot do that. Like is if, if Chris, if that's not a fireball offense, what is man? What is yeah, it makes you, it, it, you're right. I mean, what is, I, I don't, I just don't know. And we just can't put together, you know, for years when we were, when we were national seeds, we had outstanding pitching, but we couldn't hit the ball to save our lives. And that's why we couldn't get out of a regional, even the regionals we were hosting. Now it's like, we're not great hitting the ball, but we're better than we were. And we have two really, really, really good hitters, but our pitching is an absolute disaster, an absolute disaster, Curtis. Like, it's just, how many games have we blown late like this? It's just, dear God, man. God, dear God. I just, I, I'm just at a loss, man, with this yeah. baseball program right now under Scott Strickland. So, yeah, I think you and I are both of the same mind. It's time to move on. Um, I guess the bigger question is, because no one really cares what we think, at least no one that matters, uh, at least in terms of making decisions. Do you think the decision makers, um, i.e. Josh Brooks, will actually make that move? I do now that we're going to miss, more than likely miss the tournament. If we had snuck in, I wasn't sure. But now I feel like there, it's a higher, higher, closer probability. If we don't make, uh, here's what I will say: if we don't make the turn, which is it's almost a certainty at this point. Now that we've got swept by Missouri, dear God, if we don't make the tournament, when we don't make the tournament, if we do not move on from Scott Strickland, then that just means we don't take baseball seriously. We don't care. I got to call into question Josh Brooks's ability as an AD because you can't just only rely on football. Yeah, we just we don't care. Like at that point, we just we simply just do not care. We're not even trying. Yeah. We're just not even trying. Like, even if you want to say, oh, we've had some injuries. Oh, you know, the pitching staff has some injuries. Uh, you know, uh, you know, just give them some time. It's not fair. You can't judge them on this one year. <sighs> okay. All right. Let me just ask we you. We haven't won a regional since 2008. Right there is enough. <laughs> yeah, that, that is enough right there. That should, that should be enough, right? Let me ask you, for people who want, to, who want to defend him, because I know there's people out there, believe it or not, guys, and there are people out there. Let me just ask you this. Do you really think that Scott Strickland is the best that Georgia can do with his baseball program. Is he the best we can do, Curtis? No, absolutely not. And if and the I conversation say, should would, stop there. I would say, yeah, I would say there's there's a lot less people who defend him than not. And if they want to be the only ones to support him and go to the games, that's fine. That's not enough to keep the program going. Yeah, conversation should stop right there. And I, this it has nothing to do with like what. Does he deserve to get fired or not? Because I've heard people say, well, he doesn't deserve to get fired. He was too, he was a national seed. And then the COVID year, like we were going to go to the College World Series that year, that year. Maybe, but how do you know, guys? Like we were national seeds two years before that, and we didn't get out of the regionals that we were hosting. Yeah. You're just assuming we were going to go to the College World Series in 2020 without COVID. Like that, that's a that's a giant leap, man, in my estimation. That's a giant leap. What I know is that Scott Strickland, in about a, almost a decade now on the job, has not gotten us out of a freaking regional, man. Yeah. And I saw, like, if you're going to sit here and tell me you think Scott Strickland is the best we can do, you're crazy. So, like, to me, if, if, if the answer to that question is, is he the best we can do? If the answer is no, then you need to go find the better guy. Yeah, and it's time to do that. It's time to do it, man. It's time to do it. All right. Uh, got to get out of here, Curtis. Real quickly, though, um, got quick little – we didn't have a question about this, but quick little conversation about Georgia tennis. You got to take in your first match of this. You used to come to a bunch of them. I know, again, you live out of state, but you came in Mother's Day. You came out to Athens. You got to take in uh, the match there against Harvard. It was a hard-fought match. We were able to pull it out 4-2. Now the men and the women's tennis teams are both heading to the 
NCAA Elite Eight in Orlando. We'll be down. I'll be down there over the week. I think Charlie's gonna be down there as well. We'll be covering things for you guys. But Curtis, I want to get your take, man. So as someone who has not been able to come into a match all year, you come to the biggest match, the biggest home match of the season, where we set a, 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 an attendance record for the Dan McGill Tennis Complex, over 3,000 people in attendance. Set, set the scene for us, Curtis. What was the vibe for the people who were not there? Oh, it was a raucous crowd. Um, tough, tough fought match. It was really fun. Um, went down to the wire for the most part. And more people need to come out because this is a great time. Curtis, I, 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 I say this a lot, but I want to get – because I feel like people just tune me out because I say it all the time. Like I'm like a, the biggest tennis cheerleader there is for, for Georgia tennis. But I, have, I often say that the Georgia tennis program, the, the environment at Georgia's ten, at Georgia tennis matches inside the Dan McGill Tennis Complex, the mecca of college tennis, I often say that is the best environment outside of Sanford Stadium on campus. You got to experience it at just about its best yesterday. Do you agree with that assessment, or am I going a little too far with that? No, I agree with it. Overall, I think I can agree with the environment of what you have there. Especially like playoff tennis. So you get to tournament tennis. Like it's it's a crazy, crazy environment. Again, people who, who've taken those matches, you know what I'm talking about. The, the Kentucky match was a lot like that earlier this year. The Tennessee match was a lot like that. And then playing Harvard, man, like it was – uh, it was um, it was unbelievable, man. It was it was awesome. So I know there's no more opportunities to get out for a match here in Athens this year. But guys, if you missed it, just put that in your back pocket. And when this when you know next spring rolls around, make sure to come out and uh, and take in a Georgia tennis match, men and women, guys. It, it's fantastic stuff. It's fun. College tennis is is one of the most dramatic college sports there is. Like it's just undervalued and underrated because you don't see it on TV very much. But uh, if you actually get out there and watch it, I mean, talk about drama. Like it's it's got it, man. It's definitely got it. But Big weekend ahead for the men and women. The women play Michigan on Wednesday at 5 p.m. The men are playing Ohio State at 7. Well, it's scheduled for 7.30. It won't, it won't start until about 8.30 probably. Uh, but anyway, they're playing on Thursday. And then if we win those, then we move on to the, to the Final Four, which will be held on Friday. And the championship match will be held on, held on Saturday. And guys, look, we legitimately have two national title contenders. I'm not saying they're going to win it. But we both teams have shot. Both teams have shot. So make sure to follow along with us all weekend long. You can follow us on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. And we'll be bringing you all the action from Lake Nona. But that is all we have for you guys today. I hope each and every one of you have an awesome rest of the week. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>